Section 23 of The End of the Middle Age, 1273-1453 by Eleanor Constance Lodge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12. The Spanish Peninsula, Part 1. The period 1273-1453 is not one of particular interest in the history of the Spanish Peninsula, it follows an important time of progress in the early 13th century when the Moors were driven back farther and farther until the small kingdom of Granada alone remained to them, whilst the Christian states were growing in power with this extension of territory. It is not until after 1453 that the marriage of Ferdinand and Isabella formed a united kingdom of Spain by the junction of Castile and Aragon, and that the Moors were finally driven from their last stronghold in the peninsula. The history of Spain, therefore, during this period, is merely an account of the separate states of which the country was composed, and of their relations with one another and with foreign powers. It is impossible to treat it as a whole. The Spanish peninsula in the latter half of the 13th century was divided into Portugal, the Christian kingdoms of Castile, Aragon, and Navarre, and the Moorish province of Granada, which was little by little being reduced in size by the encroachments of the Christians. Castile was a very large and important kingdom, including Galicia, the Asturias, Murcia, and a great part of Andalusia and Leon, which had been united in 1230 by agreement for the public good. Aragon and Catalonia had been joined by marriage alliance in the 12th century, an event of great importance for the former as she gained in Barcelona by far the best seaport in Spain, inhabited by the most industrious and most enterprising population of the peninsula. Navarre was a small mountain kingdom, including part of what is now French territory on the north of the Pyrenees, and its history connects it, on the whole, rather more closely with France than with Spain. The previous history of Spain had been one long continuous crusade against the power of the Moslem, with the result that her nobles were all warriors, pure and simple. They had never become manorial lords, such as were found in other feudal countries, rulers of agricultural estates, in which they were supreme over their vassals and heads of justice throughout their land. Constant war at home had also prevented them from seeking occupation in the east, and thus deprived the country of that wider outlook and the impulse toward commerce, art, and learning, which had been spread through Europe by the great crusading movement. Thus Spain had advanced on her own lines. She was never really feudal, as was most of the continent. Her aristocracy was military, but not territorial. Free towns with independent populations sprang up sooner than in any other country, and the kingdoms of Aragon and Castile early enjoyed the benefits of a representative government which developed from the old popular councils of the Visigoths. The government of Castile was a limited monarchy, the sovereign being hereditary from the 11th century, although always receiving formal recognition from the Cortes, or National Parliament. This Cortes differed much in composition at different times, but it contained as a rule 
nobles, clergy, and representatives from the towns, and it exercised control over taxation, the necessity for its consent being fully recognized. Over legislation also it had influence. Sanction was required for any royal enactments, and the king had to swear to obey what it decreed. It seems to have been consulted on any matter of importance, and it was the honorable, if somewhat formal, duty of the Cortes to acknowledge the succession of the heir apparent. Besides this assembly, there was a smaller council to aid the king in executive business. This was a body for the most part composed of hereditary nobles, though sometimes additional members were received, chosen by the Cortes from amongst its own members. Justice was in the hands of town judges or alcaldes, but the kings in the 13th century added officials of their own called corregidores, and there was appeal from either of these bodies, first to the governor of the provinces, then to a tribunal of royal alcaldes. In many ways this constitution much resembled that of England, only that there was no trial by jury and no county representation such as was supplied by our knights of the shire. Aragon had even a more liberal constitution than that of Castile, although at the same time it was more aristocratic. Here the Cortes consisted of four estates, prelates, barons, or ricos hombres, as they were called, men of the state, not rich men, knights or infanzones, and the deputies of the towns. An important office in this state was that of justiza, a minister responsible for the observance of the laws and the supervision of justice, which was very well administered. This good management of justice was especially secured by two rights peculiar to the government of Aragon. By a process known as juris firma, causes could be called up from any court in the realm to the supreme court of the justiza. Another process known as manifestacion was something like our writ of habeas corpus. By it, a man could be saved from any illegal violence, could be taken from the hands of royal officers, and his trial could be hastened. In 1283, a document known as the General Privilege, which has been called the Magna Carta of Aragon, contained a whole series of important provisions for the safeguard of order, justice, and good government. Arbitrary taxation, secret tribunals, and private sentences were forbidden. The use of torture was prohibited, and the control of the Cortes over the whole administration was affirmed and strengthened. One great feature of Aragon was the very close union between nobles and people, and the enthusiasm for liberty which both displayed. The aristocracy formed a real check on the arbitrary power of the king, and according to a Spanish writer, fought at all times not for power but for popular liberty. In 1273, Castile was in the hands of Alfonso X or the Wise, a rival of Richard of Cornwall for the imperial dignity, though he never possessed more than the empty title. It was his sister Eleanor who is so well known as the devoted and dearly beloved wife of our King Edward I. Alfonso was a really learned man if not a successful king. Castile at this period was making great progress in civilization and learning. St. Ferdinand, the previous king, had done much for his country and brought her much-needed peace. 
while from this time moors in castile became as scarce as foxes in middlesex amongst the people of the day none was more advanced or better educated than the king himself he was a very many-sided genius and his studies comprised both science and letters a mathematician and an astronomer he was also a poet a musician and a linguist perhaps above all a legislator in astronomy he corrected some of the errors in the old calculations and helped to explain the movements of the stars ballads he wrote of some merit and chronicles also but the chief work of his life was the siete partidas seven divisions a very comprehensive code of law compiled from the roman and visigothic rules from the old local customs or fueros and from the decrees of various great councils this celebrated work was not adopted immediately as the law of the land but was gradually introduced in the next century and has remained ever since one of the most interesting examples of a great national legal code so much for the wisdom of alfonso of his reign there is little to record his subjects and his own son rebelled against him and his death which placed sancho on the throne in 1284 left castile a prey to civil war disorder and lack of government only one event of interest took place in this reign in the conquest of tarifa from the moors this was the work of a famous commander known as guzman the good after the city had been taken by the christians it was again besieged by the moors assisted by prince john a man of even worse character than his brother sancho during the operations the young son of guzman fell into the hands of the besiegers and john leading him before the walls of the town threatened to kill him on the spot if his father did not surrender the noble guzman refused and with proud defiance flung down his own knife at the foot of the cruel prince who slew the boy but failed to capture the town and he and the moors were forced to retire ferdinand the fourth twelve ninety five to thirteen twelve successor of sancho was no better than his father some success marked the early years of his reign while he was still a minor and at this time was formed a confederacy of burgesses known as the hermandad or brotherhood which was an attempt to control the monarch curb the nobles and introduce some order into the administration this ferdinand has been surnamed the summon on account of a tradition that his brother whom he had unjustly condemned to death summoned him to appear before the tribunal of god and that within thirty days he died suddenly and without apparent cause alfonso the eleventh thirteen twelve to thirteen fifty whose reign did not do much to improve the morals or remedy the disorders of the kingdom is at least distinguished for a great victory over the moors at the battle of salado thirteen forty and his death from plague came at a moment when he was winning more military successes his son pedro the cruel thirteen fifty to sixty nine is the only one of this series of kings who has left a really well-known name behind him and his fame is one not to be envied since it is based almost wholly on his perfectly superhuman wickedness and cruelty perhaps some crimes have been laid unjustly to his charge but this does not absolve him from enough to blacken any reputation he was married to three wives at the same time 
Blanche of Bourbon, he deserted directly after the ceremony and eventually murdered. Jews were constantly massacred in cold blood before his eyes. His half-brother, Don Fadrique, was murdered probably by his own hand, whilst staying at his own palace and under his own royal safe-conduct. It is useless to continue the enumeration of his odious deeds, which would fill many pages. The history of the revolt against him, led by his half-brother Henry of Trastamare, aided by French support, and the companies under Guéclin, have been told in the chapter on French history. The Black Prince, unfortunately for his reputation, was induced by Pedro to support him, replaced him on the throne by the Battle of Navaretta or Najara, and went home to die. Pedro, meanwhile, was soon involved in fresh war and finally lost his life, 1369, in a hand-to-hand -hand struggle with Henry himself, to whose tent he had come on a mission of treachery. He had hoped to find Du Guesclin alone and to succeed in winning him over by bribery, but found instead his brother and his executioner. The death of the cruel tyrant was welcomed with rejoicing by the whole country, and Henry of Trastamare was willingly recognized as king, 1369-79. This title was disputed, however, by John of Gaunt, the son of our Edward III, who had married Constance of Castile, a daughter of Pedro. But his attempts were unsuccessful, although war continued after Henry's death against his successor, John I. 1379-90. The English were assisted by the Portuguese, whose King Ferdinand had fought for his own claims against Henry of Trastamare, and whose son John of Portugal was now married to a daughter of John of Gaunt. John of Gaunt and his wife took the title of King and Queen of Castile, but in the end their claims were handed over to their daughter Catherine, and her marriage to the Spanish Prince Henry ended the quarrel. End of section 23.